not necessarily pretty, is it? <laughs> I would ask for a, a, a you know a raise of hands of how many people felt like that this morning, but I don't want to be depressed, so I won't. But you know, I'm not an emoji you know guru, but you know it was a good one for what the topic of my talk today is. That is, so you think you're having a bad day. You see, it doesn't take us long to think about a day that was just not going well at all. Now, at my age, these days begin as early as right after waking up and getting out of bed. That's pretty much, that's not my face, but that's pretty much me. You know, trying to get, I found out that getting up is a process, it's not an event. You know, it used to just be an event, you know, not anymore. Now, and I can look out here and, and I know that there's lots of you that can actually relate to this experience. Now, unfortunately, on occasion, this beginning of the day bad time can extend past just getting up. It can extend all the way into the whole doggone day. I mean, things may like spiral right out of control as far as work is concerned or anything is concerned. For example, it's sort of like this girl here who failed to put the paint can lid on securely before putting the paint can in the paint stirrup. You know, and you can, you know, Home Depot will never be the same wherever that particular place was. Or this driver who found out that that particular parking space did not lead to the drive-through. Or this person right here who was trying to get that Christmas wreath as far in the corner of the attic as they possibly could, and they found out that under all that insulation was little of anything. As a matter of fact, as a side, my sister-in-law actually did that. She literally did that one time, you know, and, and her husband wasn't really helping her because he couldn't stop laughing. He was like almost on the floor laughing. She's suspended on a, on a roof truss, and he's down there about to die laughing, and he almost died anyway. But anyway, so these things, these types of things and days do very little for our self-esteem and can make us feel like the universe is simply singling us out for its own amusement as far as that day is concerned. But everybody has days like this. The rich, the poor, those with great power, those with very little power, the famous, the not-so-famous, simply everybody has a bad day from time to time. And today I want to focus on one such person. Now, recently, in our Bible recap with Tara Lee Cobble series, where we're reading through the Bible, which is, is, has been an eye-opening experience for me. You know, but anyhow, since we've been going through that, we've been speaking a lot lately about the life of one particular Bible figure. And that figure is King David. King David is a man who came from the humblest of beginnings. Now, David's father was a man named Jesse who was basically a relatively unknown, you know, until this particular point in time. Now, David was the youngest of eight sons. And, you know, in these days, you know, the order of importance of sons was oldest to youngest. 
which puts him on the bottom of the totem pole as far as, you know, uh, jobs and this kind of thing. And so being the youngest, he was typically um, uh, given menial tasks, like you see up here, where he was a shepherd. He was tending the sheep. Now, David learned a lot of things while he was tending sheep, but that was considered to be like the lowest of low as far as duties for sons were concerned. Now, in the course of time, the king of the Israelites was a man named Saul. You know, the Israelites begged God for a king, and God says, be careful what you ask for, and they asked for it anyway, so he gave them, and Saul was the first king over the Israelite nation. Now, unfortunately, Saul started like gangbusters, but he didn't end that way. And Saul actually abandons God's instructions throughout his tenure as far as king is concerned, and eventually he's so bad that he loses God's favor. Now, when Saul had exhausted God's patience and he lost his favor, Saul, uh, God got with Samuel. And God, Samuel was a prophet, and he told Saul that he was ready to anoint a successor to Saul. Now, this, this was not something that was going to be an immediate thing, but this was the person that God was going to choose to take over after Saul's kingship was over. And so God leads uh, Samuel to Jesse. Now, so Saul, you know, I mean, uh, Samuel asked Jesse, he says, well, you know, let me see your sons. And so he started with the oldest. Remember, that was the most important. And Samuel says, nah, he's not the one. So the next oldest, nah. He's not the one. The next oldest, nah, that's not the one. You get in the pattern, right? So the seven of them came, the seven oldest ones paraded by, and he didn't choose any of them. Now, so Samuel kind of asked Jesse, is that all you got? Now, he didn't say that, but anyhow, something like that, right? And, and so Jesse says, well, you know, we, I do have my youngest son, but he's not here. He's out in the field tending the sheep. So, Jesse, he said, well, go get him, you know. So, here comes Jesse, and he brings David with him. And David says, ding, 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 that's the one, right? And so, Samuel, right then and there, he anoints David as the next king of Israel. Now, as I said, that's not for right. It doesn't start right that second. It's just he's going to be the next one in line. Now, David, after he's anointed as the next in line, has quite a, a series of adventures. Now, David is still serving King Saul. He was, he was an Israelite, that was his king, and he was going to serve him, period, because that was God's way, all right? And so David, in the, in the story we all know about, David goes out, and, and you know, after this, and, and as time passes, he defeats Goliath. He also eventually, uh, well, he serves King Saul in any way, shape, or form that he could do. For, he was a, he, David was a musician. You know, he played a harp type of instrument, and, and Saul was a nutcase. I mean, he really was. And, and when he'd go off the deep end, you know, today I think we call Saul bipolar. Yeah, but when he'd go off the deep end, David would literally go in there and play his heart for him, and it would kind of, you know, bring him back into reality. So, you know, David served Saul. It wasn't like he was trying to get rid of him so he could go ahead and be, be king. He served his king. 
He, and, and oddly enough, you know, he, Saul tried to kill him. You know, Saul was a really jealous person, and a lot of times we read in Scripture where, where uh, Israelites or, or even their, their uh, pagan neighbors would say that Saul kills his thousands, but David kills his ten thousands. You know, and that just burnt Saul up. So literally, David had to survive Saul's attempts to kill him, you know, because Saul was after him. You know, he realized that, that this is where God's favor lied, you know, and, and so he did everything he could to kill him. But David survived. Now, after Saul's death, then it kind of becomes official. All right, and David is publicly anointed as far as Israel's king is concerned. Now, David, David had just an, an unblemished record as far as the enemies were concerned. He went on to defeat any and all challengers as far as the Israelite people were concerned. And there was a lot of them. Because if you recall, the, the, the land that God gave the Israelites was not a, an empty land. It had people in it. You know, and they had to take over those people, you know, and that, they didn't like that too well. So, you know, there was always constant, you know, bickering as far as land was concerned. But it seems that with all these victories that David had, that David simply has it all. I mean, he has God's favor on him. He has power. He has riches. He has more wives and concubines than he can keep up with. And he has the adoration as far as the Israelite nation is concerned. But, as the songwriter John Fogarty wrote, I see a bad moon arising. I see trouble on the way. I see earthquakes and lightning. I see Bad times today. Wow. He could have been talking about David. King David went out and made a series of really bad decisions that brought on all kinds of disasters as far as he and the Israelites were concerned. It all starts with a woman. Now, I'm not, now, don't take me wrong. I'm not saying that women are the cause of all problems. But they were a problem as far as David was concerned. We're going to find out later on the problem of Solomon, too. But anyhow, her name was Bathsheba. Now, Bathsheba was married to a man called Uriah the Hittite. And Uriah the Hittite was in the Israelite army. And he was fighting away from Jerusalem. Well, David sees Bathsheba bathing one night. And David coveted her something awful. And being the king and being able to get whatever he wanted, he had Bathsheba brought to him. He slept with her. He impregnated her. And then as time went on, he had her husband placed in a place in the, in the battle where he would surely be killed. And he was. Now, how's that for a series of sins? A bad moon was definitely getting ready to rise on David. Now, over the course of time, 
God sent the prophet Nathan to David. Now, Nathan, it was really interesting. God told Nathan what to say, but it was interesting how Nathan did it. Nathan told David a story about a man who had just abused his power on a relatively powerless man. All right? And and he told the story to David, and David got madder and madder and madder as Nathan told him about this horrible man. And when Nathan finished that story, David said, bring that man to me. And it's essentially said, he ain't going to breathe long after you bring him to me. Well, how do you think David felt when Nathan said, you're the man? Because he was. Nathan turns around and details David's sin and God's judgment on David. Now, we read of God's decision in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 12, verses 11, 12, and 14. And that's on the screen here. Nathan says, this is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. Now you did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. I mean, this sounds like a line out of the young and the restless. Right? But the thing is, that, that happened. You know, his son Absalom tried to gain the throne... And one way he he showed Israel his power was he literally slept with David's wives. So that literally happened. Now Nathan goes on, he says, "But, but, uh, because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. Remember it said he impregnated uh, Bathsheba. And that son did indeed die. It was about a week. You know, and, and David prayed and did everything, sackcloth, ashes, everything else, but that son eventually died. So that was one issue that David had. Now, later in David's reign, he did something else that displeased the Lord. And this one is a little bit, um, you know, you wonder why this was bad. But anyhow, David ordered a census taken of all men capable of fighting battles. In all of Israel. Now, David was counseled by his military commander, who was a man named Joab. Now, Joab told David that this is not a good thing. You know, you don't really want to be doing this. And the reason was that by taking a census, David was literally showing an attitude that it's really not enough for me to just trust God to get us. What I've got to do is I have got to know how many fighting men I have so that I can decide 
whether this is a course of action or whether it's not a course of action. David was kind of substituting his own judgment instead of relying on God who had always come through. You know, to be the one who knows what to do and who will tell him what to do. And as you might expect, God got angry as far as that particular decision was concerned because it just showed a lack of trust in God that David seemed to have. Now this time, God used another prophet named Gad. Now, Gad was, is going to be the one to speak to David this time. And we read this in 2 Samuel, the 24th chapter, verses 12 through 15. Now, this is sort of like, you know, uh, let's make a deal, you know, as far as God is concerned. Now, when we read, uh, now Gad is, God's telling Gad, go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I am giving you what? Three options. All right, let's make a deal. I'm giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So Gad went to David and he said to him, here's the options. Shall there come on you three years of famine in your land? Number one. Or, number two, three months of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you. Or, number three, three days of plague on your land. So we've got door number one, door number two, door number three. Okay. Now then, think it over and decide how I should answer the one who sent me. Now, who's the one who sent Gad? God, right? So God's saying, okay, here's your choices. You know, make a choice. Now, David told Gad, David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But do not let me fall into human hands. So, the Lord sent a plague on Israel from that morning until the end of the time designated, and 70,000 of the people from Dan to Beersheba, what? Died. And the term Dan to Beersheba are two locations that were kind of on bookends as far as the land. That, that's talking about all through Israel. You know, the plague was affecting people. So, there were severe consequences of David's sin. But I've left, and you know, so far this has just not been pretty, has it? I mean, this has been just bad after bad, and bad day after bad day after bad day. But I've left out a part, intentionally, of these two stories. And that part I left out is what I want to focus on. Now, after David's debacle with Bathsheba, we read in the middle of Nathan talking about giving David all these consequences, we find 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, that I skipped a while ago. You may wonder why. <laughs> now, in verse 13, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. 
you are not going to die. After the census debacle, when David saw the destruction the plague was having on the Israelites, he cried out to God and said, It's my fault. And he begged God to punish him, not the Israelites. And we read in 2 Samuel 24, and I'm just going to summarize most of this. We read in 2 Samuel 24 that God gave David an out. He told David to go to a man named Aruna the Jebusite. Aruna's his name, and that's his nationality. And he told him to build an altar on the threshing floor of Aruna which is a pro- where they process, you know, the grain. All right, so David did so. You know, and Aruna said, Aruna said, look, you can have it. You're the king, you can have it. And David said, nope. He said, I'm going to buy it at a fair market price. Because, you know, he says, I don't want something for nothing. You know, and so anyway, so David offered, he built the altar, he offered sacrifices to God on the altar, and we read in verse 20, uh, 25, Then the Lord answered his prayer in behalf of the land, and the plague on Israel was stopped. And let me tell you something about when that stopped. In actual fact, the angel of the Lord, who was reaping all this destruction on the Israelites, was getting ready to tear up Jerusalem. And I mean, he was just following God's commands. And just before he raised his arms to pretty much level Jerusalem, God said, that's enough. That's enough. You know, he relented, in other words. You know, and so it was, it was very significant that David repented when he did. And by the way, that site where David built that altar ultimately became the site where that temple was built by his son Solomon. The temple being the earthly home of God. So, what can we learn about these particular events? Now, we know that irregardless of some of David's actions, David loved God and God loved David. Now, God did not ignore David's sin, because as we've seen, there were consequences of David's sin. But he did forgive them. Now you see, David's life was all part of the plan that God had for showing mankind how much he loved them. Even though they were a sinful, stiff-necked people, he still loved them. And God established an eternal kingship through David's line. He promised David he was going to do that. Now, the current occupant of that kingship line is Jesus Christ. Now, unlike earthly kings who had a beginning and an end, Jesus Christ occupies that kingship and he will forever. He was the last one in the line and still lives today. Now, the point I'm trying to drive at is that no matter how bad your day is, 
Jesus will be with you, and He will see you through it. Now, on our end, we've got to have faith that Jesus is looking out for us and will always help when we ask. Now, that help may not come immediately. It may not come in a week. It may not come in a month or longer, but it will come in Jesus' perfect timing. And when it does come, it will be the best possible answer for the problem that you have. Which takes us to our next step. Now this is a really hard step for most of us to take. And this step is to simply forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. It is all too common for even Christ followers to ask Jesus for forgiveness and have faith that Jesus is going to forgive them, but then fail to forgive themselves. Remember, when we sin, we sin against the holiness of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who is wronged when we sin. So if Jesus can forgive us, He's the one that was wronged, then why can't we forgive ourselves? Sin, as we've seen and we know, has consequences. And we have to live with those consequences, and sometimes others have to live with those consequences. But guilt can tear us down even further. We should learn from sin, but we should never be held mentally hostage to sin because we can't forgive ourselves. It's almost like we're not trusting Jesus to actually forgive us. You know, I mean, yeah, this is all fine and good, but, but I did it, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life, and, and, and it can lead to a downward spiral. There's no better example of this particular item than an account in Luke, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Now, I'm going to summarize this, but this is an account of a woman described in the Scripture as a sinful woman. And this woman tracked down Jesus during a dinner at the house of a prominent Pharisee. Now, this woman was so remorseful for her sins that she literally fell down at Jesus' feet and just started bawling. And her tears wet Jesus' feet, and we're told that she wiped her tears with her hair. And furthermore, she took an alabaster jar, and, and what that tells you is that what's inside is really precious. And it was full of perfume. And she broke that jar open and she anointed Jesus' feet with that perfume. And this is how Jesus reacts to that situation. Jesus tells her that your sins 
are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. And what was the last part? Go in peace. Go in peace. You see, Jesus forgives us for our sins. And that's what really counts. But to have the peace, and you know, Jesus talked a lot about peace. Even when he was getting ready to leave the earth, you know, he talked about the peace that he was going to leave with us. But having the peace that Jesus talks about requires us to accept Jesus' forgiveness and forgive ourselves and move on with our lives. Because if we keep going over the same thing over and over again, we're having no peace. You know, and, and Jesus doesn't want us to live a life in turmoil like that. That's why he died on the cross. So he could forgive our sin and we could go on and live. Not to just sit there and be held hostage by our sins the rest of our lives. As you see on the image in front of you, real peace, and we hear a lot about peace nowadays, don't we? You know, with all that mess going on in Ukraine and this kind of thing, you're hearing about, oh, well, we've got to have peace. We've got to have peace. We've got to have peace. Well, look at what this, this thing says. Real peace is not something that's around us. Real peace is something inside of us. And Jesus is the one that puts it there. We can be at peace irregardless of what's going on in the economic world or in the military world or anything. We can still be at peace. We can worry, but we can be at peace because Jesus is in control. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the sacrifice you made for all of us. We thank you, Father, for the forgiveness of sin that that allows for. We thank you, Father, for forgiving our sins, and we pray that you help us to forgive ourselves. Because that's the only way to true peace is to have faith in your forgiveness and that we can move on with our lives. We may have consequences to deal with, but we know you've forgiven us for this. Help us, Father, as we go through our life and we're going to sin, there's no doubt about it, that we'll remember after asking you for forgiveness, we need to ask ourselves to forgive ourselves. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.